Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. I'd like to acknowledge that we are on Gadigal land. I pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation and also acknowledge all First Nations peoples listening to this podcast and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. My name is Penelope Benton. I'm the General Manager here at NAVA. I am here with Chinese-Australian artist Amy Su Wu and founder of the Feminist South Project, artist and curator Kelly Dolly. Hello. Hi. Hi. Let's start with a little intro from you both about who you are and what's your practice. Let's start with you, Amy. Uh, Yeah, so I um, was born in China and I immigrated to Sydney when I was six and I left Sydney when I was uh, 20 to move to Holland for an exchange. Um, And I never uh, moved back. Um, I studied graphic design and media art in uh, Rotterdam, uh, where I uh, went on to teach at the school that I um, uh, studied. And um, I guess my practice was very much informed by my experience being in the squatting culture there, where we, um, I guess, found collectivity around um, anti-corporatization of the city and finding uh, subculture and experimental art and related through film choices and art tastes and um, yeah just I guess very grassroots DIY um, yeah movements there and um, I guess uh, that informed my research that I've been doing for the last four years on steganography, which is um, the technique of hiding in plain sight um, as a kind of response to evading censorship and surveillance. And um, yeah, but later on, I guess the project developed to also focus on how to give visibility to minority cultures. And I guess my uh, show at Artspace is kind of, yeah, embodying all of those um, uh, lines of experience. <laughs> Amazing. Let's, yep. We'll get into that, I think, in a bit more depth in a minute. Let's hear from you, Kelly. Tell us about your background. Um, I'm an artist and curator, and I mainly work in performance is kind of my main interest. Um, I mainly have been working in a collective called Barbara Cleveland uh, for more than 10 years. And, you know, we met at art school in Sydney and that's where, you know, I kind of stayed due to that collective practice, um, which has been all-encompassing for many years. But I was actually born in Melbourne um, and I'm Scottish-Australian and I was raised in the Northern Rivers. Um, As a curator, I'm also interested in a kind of extension of what my practice does, which is a kind of feminist line of inquiry. 
Um, so I see curating shows or, you know, working with artists to put on projects as a way to have a bigger conversation, um, almost like uh, extension of the collaborative practice of Barbara Cleveland, really. Great. And um, can you tell us about the Feminist South project? How did it start? Who's involved? What's its purpose? I like I said, I've been kind of working in a in a in, fem, in a feminist lens uh, through art practice for many years, and you know reading and studying it, and kind of you know quite obsessive, quite obsessively, and I guess um, in in around 2016, I just uh, I got a little bit sick of um, most of the stuff that I was reading or the reviews of shows that I would read that were had a you know feminist framework. Um, yeah, shows that I would see uh, were mainly coming out of like America, the UK and Europe um, and some stuff from Australia. <clears throat> and I, um, I knew that there was more stuff going on um, in where I was, which was Australia, but also Asia. I, I see our position where we are sitting as connected to Asia. So um, I, I started to try and think about, well, what if you did a project that tried to just have a conversation about that. So what is a what is a feminist line of inquiry or a feminist practice that is not so centred around a Eurocentric uh, viewpoint? Um, and at that time, I happened to be in Beijing giving a paper um, at a conference, and I met um, uh, these, these two amazing um, gallery directors called um, Anna and Anthony, who are running a kind of grassroots um, space in Beijing called I Project Space. And I started talking to them about this idea and they became very keen to basically do it with me. So we decided to formalise it and call it the Feminist South Project, which was kind of loosely based around, OK, for three years, we'll just talk to people about this idea about feminist practice away from Europe, UK, America, um, meet as many artists as possible, um, try and put on shows when we can, because um, we don't have any money, um, <laughs> and uh, start a, a think, thinking about publishing as well as a way to cheaply um, have the conversation, do panels, just kind of, yeah, when you think about research in a more expanded way, that's kind of what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. yeah. Great. And the Feminist South Project is currently presenting Amy's <coughs> exhibition, which you mentioned downstairs, Thunderclap, um, in the Arts Space Sydney Ideas Platform in partnership with Jenny's Alteration and Dry Cleaning in Glebe and the Creative Industries Fund. Can you tell me about this work, Amy? So, yes, the project is about redistributing He Yen Zen's um, text and she was a uh, forgotten anarcho-feminist anarcho scholar from 1907. Um, I found her work when I was visiting a feminist queer maker space called Q-Space in Beijing that Anna and Tony had introduced me to. And it was sitting in their library and um, I was really amazed by this book. So I started asking people around me um, if they could tell me more information about this amazing, incredible woman. And nobody could tell me who she was. Um, and in fact, I had to explain or like reintroduce this uh, to the people that were in Q-Space. So that was a very interesting shift. Mm. And, and so they started asking me whether or not I could find her original Chinese essays for them to access. So the work, my work, my job, my mission, my goal 
felt like, okay, so this is what I have to do. I have to serve this community that has, in a way, given me this book and I'm able to access her writing, but they haven't been because it's in English. So the work <clears throat> um, is using clothing accessories. It's using um, patches, embroidered patches and ribbons to redistribute um, her original essays on QR codes. So if you scan the QR code, then you download her Chinese essays on, um, on your phone. And the reason why I use the QR code is because in China, everything um, is basically all the transactions, all the so social media contact, all, all kind of payments go through um, QR code. So it's like uh, very much pervasive in the um, urban landscape. So by using the QR code, it also becomes like this hidden in plain sight um, uh, aspect of it. So it kind of goes under the radar. Um, so that was the reason why I used the QR code. And the other reason why I used fashion, or let's say uh, English, is not necessarily um, to read, because in China, um, Latin, that Latin, the Roman alphabet is actually seen as ornamentation, as decoration. So I kind of co-opted that medium to spread her um, her text, and in, I chose these specific quotes, but actually they're they're just decorative. But you know, when this work is translated in into a Australian context, of course, we can read it, and it it, it becomes um, uh, a different work. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm keen to hear, I guess, or discuss a bit more about the concepts of uh, steganography for a little while. Uh, in this particular moment, I'm really intrigued because uh, coincidentally, Nava's current artist file is with Nassim Nasir. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she interrogates the different ways that women can be invisible in plain sight across both Western and Eastern cultures. Mm. Um, so let's... Let's talk a little bit more about your research in um, tactic and poetics of invisibility. Mm. I think at the time I was teaching a course called Hacking, um, and so it was very much taken from uh, a computer science realm, and try uh, and we tried to adjust it and kind of tweak it to an art and design field and art and design education. So how can you uh, question structures? How can you um, let's say find loopholes in um, systems uh, and take advantage of it to either critique it or to um, repurpose it or to collapse it. I guess that was the general thinking. And in that course, of course, we talked about uh, computer security like cryptogra cryptography, uh, which is using, it's another form of secret writing. So steganography is also a form of uh, secret writing um, to hide information. And cryptography, so both of them are related, but cryptography uses more mathematical endeavors to scramble its um, uh, meaning, but you can see that something's um, tampered with it. It, like, it looks like gibberish in code, whereas steganography is more like um, covert, uh, hidden writing. So for example, invisible inks are a form of um, steganography where um, the very existence of it is um, hidden. And so I became interested in it because of this article that I read 
um, in which it talked about how the CIA had disclosed um, 100-year-old invisible ink recipes because they were seen as obsolete technology mm. in light of advancing uh, cryptographic um, techniques. But then uh, I, after I read the article, I read a comment uh, in which it, it questioned whether or not invisible inks were really as obsolete and as redundant um, as the article was saying or as the CIA had thought. Because if we were to, let's say, evade uh, structures of surveillance, we might as well go analog because nobody's looking at the post office and nobody's mm. you know, checking our mail as thoroughly as, um, let's say, online um, infrastructures. So then I was, I, I guess, trying to revive it as a kind of, um, as a, uh, as a gesture of, let's say, um, finding loopholes. Mm -hmm. So coming back to this hacking thing again. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I became interested in steganography. I was making my own invisible ink. I was finding all sorts of recipes from, I don't know, 500 years ago and um, collecting them and making a little uh, toolkit for my students. And I just kind of got more and more involved and uh, absorbed into this world because not only do you have invisible inks, you have another technique called the carden grill, which is basically uh, you have two uh, pieces of paper. One is like a cover letter, which seems innocuous and innocent and, you know, very non-scandalous. <laughs> and then you have another piece of paper with holes cut into it. And if you align the holes on top of the letter, the innocuous letter, the message comes out. So I was really interested in all these playful techniques. Playful, but of course, uh, with uh, very fatal, urgent um, uh, goals. Mm. So, yeah, and then of course, so these, these would be considered technical steganography, but then you have linguistic forms of steganography, like slang, for example. Um, in, in, in queer cultures, we have a lot of uh, slang, but also in gang culture, you have slang and all these, all these, let's say, ways of rephrasing or talking about certain ideas also give you certain forms of protection mm -hmm. from prosecution or, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Kelly, what are your views on blending in and standing out in a queer feminist context? Well, I mean, I became really interested in Amy's project um, because it, to me it was completely doing what we were trying to explore in the Feminist South project, which was basically trying to have a different type of conversation. And um, so, you know, when, when I started the project, every, so many people said to me, oh, there's no feminism in Asia, oh, there's no feminism, there's no feminist practice in China. So many times I heard that. And then I, I um, you know, found out about Amy's project and I was like, the, this is the project, yeah, because no one knew about Hui and Jen here, mm. of course, and um, to me that was really interesting because it was like challenging, like so simply, just through tra um, translating her text onto, you know, patches to then kind of infiltrate through everyday clothing. Uh, it, yeah, in a Chinese context it has a different meaning, but in an Australian or um, you would say like a Euro-centred um, country like Australia, it, ha it, it, it immediately challenges that viewpoint that um, feminism is basically a Western concept. I mean, mm -hmm. Hui and Jen was writing this stuff in 1907. Mm -hmm. So it really simply um, 
kind of cuts across that that kind of thinking. So um, the invisibility and then visibility of Hoi and Jen is is really playfully kind of pulled apart in Amy's project, and um, I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, I think tactics of like invisibility and visibility are totally. Um, something that I'm interested in, like when I say I come from like a feminist way of working, to me looking at what's invisible and why and who's visible and why and um, challenging that or questioning that is totally um, what my practice has been trying to do for years. I mean, um, yeah, who's forgotten, who's remembered, who's historicised, who's not and why. Mm. So, you know, with Barbara Cleveland, um, the collective I work in, our, you know, pretty much body of work has been about reinserting the uh, forgotten performance artist Barbara Cleveland into the kind of annals of art history, Australian art history, because mm. no female artists are really historicised or remembered, or very few, and um, particularly if they're working in performance, it's just like, no, uh, women weren't making performance back then, they were just making cups of tea, which is another <laughs> thing I've been told a million times. Um, <laughs> so trying to, you know... Um, re-perform her work, talk about her, um, you know, take photographs uh, as her and then, um, you know, insert them next to someone like Mike Parr or, you know, these kind of heroes of performance art has been um, a real focus of ours. So mm. thinking about visibility and invisibility through performance um, is, to me, a, a very clear tactic to have a different conversation. Mm. Mm. The National Committee for UN Women Australia have announced their theme for uh, International Women's Day this year, which is more powerful together. Um, the concept of their slogan is, yeah, about working together, collaborating, um, and you use the word cooperation on the Feminist South project. I'm interested to hear from you both about concepts, so particularly, in a, in, again, in a queer feminist context, of collaboration? For me, it's not uh, a tactic or something that I choose to do. Like, it's, I don't ever go, ah, I must do this collaboratively because da 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 da. It's just how I work. Mm. Um, and to me, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, why wouldn't you be working with other people to do something? Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's how you get... You're going to have more of an impact or more like it's going to be deeper if you have more perspectives um doing the thing with you <laughs> so I always find it funny that uh collaboration is seen as like this thing because to me it's just how you would operate in the world I mean and it's just the way I think so I've always worked collaboratively like I work in a collective I think collaboratively I um every project I ever do really is with other people um but do, do you agree? Like, you know mm. what I mean? It's kind of like, that's how you get stuff done. Mm. <laughs> like from yeah. a, like a kind of grassroots organisation mm. perspective, that's just... Yeah, you need the, 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 the people, the, I, I didn't want to say manpower. <laughs> people power. <laughs> people power. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting though, because um, having studied in Holland, there was this emphasis on... Uh, the artist or the designer as this individual hero and um, let's say collaboration wasn't really um, encouraged necessarily um, also thinking about the way that that we teach um, collaboration or not collaboration in art schools in Holland is um, 
Yeah, quite problematic. I remember one of my first few years teaching uh, and I wanted to do a group work exercise and then my uh, supervisor said, yeah, but how do we mark them individually? Because you can't mm. tell who's done what, you know? So it's this idea of like quantif quantifying very small, you know, I don't know, actions, tasks, behaviors that, that may or may not um, have an, an effect. I mean, we'll never know. But mm. I think in Holland, at least, I don't know about Sydney, the Australian context, because I haven't been here for so long. The individual is very much um, idolized, like the individual artist. And uh, collaboration is a kind of, let's say, and this is a problem, collaboration is like, uh, like sensationalized. Like uh, it's made as, oh, wow, look what mm. they're doing. Whereas it's actually very much inherent in everything we do. Mm. I guess maybe that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and I do think that individual artists is completely glorified yeah. um, here. It's, uh, I can't believe this myth continues mm. of, um, yeah, the genius white male painter, that people love it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> The days that you're not in the ideas platform, you're going mm -hmm. to be in your mom's shop, right? Yep. What will you be doing there? Uh, I have already been in her shop for two days, uh, working alongside with her, just being her assistant, um, being her protege, having her um, kind of impart all her amazing skills to me. Your mom's shop is the dry cleaners in Glebe. Yes. 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 So we do alteration. We do. I don't think we do tailoring. We do a lot of like fixing and mending and um, like we do dry cleaning and um, yeah, like we, we go from, she does anything from a, a hem, simple hem to like complete reconstructions of vintage dresses. Mm. Yep. So if you ever need to go, we're on 323 Glue Point Road. <laughs> <laughs> I am just, you know, hanging out with her and getting to know my mother's craft because I feel like at this point I, um, yeah, I'm looking towards a shift in my practice where I want to really reclaim this very um, first expression, mode of expression that I had. I think I moved away from, from textiles and craft um, and now I'm finding my way back. And so that's why I'm literally back at my mum's shop as well mm. in Sydney, where I grew up. <laughs> Kel, let's come back to the Feminist South project. You were mentioning before the web platform that I guess you have the online presence. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I've mentioned to you before that I, I really love the image-based interviews and the way the information is presented. Can you um, talk a little bit more about that format? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a website, which is feministsouth.com, as a place to house ideas that come up as we're meeting people and having conversations. Um, and on my second trip to Beijing, um, when I was talking to a lot of artists about feminism, um, there were a whole lot of different... There's about four translations of feminism into ma in Mandarin, um, and they all kind of mean different things, like from female power to hating men. And, you know, so when you when I was going to those conversations, it was often um, 
not so clear what I what I was saying, what I meant by feminism, as opposed to what mm. the person I was talking to meant about feminism, and also um, as uh, you know, Amy kind of mentioned, there's a, a veil of um, censorship that pervades the experience of being in China, and and things are considered sensitive. So power in itself is actually considered a sensitive concept. Mm. So when you're saying female power, if someone's understanding what you're saying is female power, it, the conversation very quickly changes to maybe not talking about it or talking around it. Um, so we were having really interesting conversations like that and uh, it came up that maybe what we should be doing instead is um, just inviting artists to like do an interview so 10 really simple questions um and that they don't respond ask not to respond um in words but through images as a way to try and um encapsulate maybe more than words so a feeling or um an expression or um yeah trying to have like a deeper conversation across cultures and languages about feminism um that was potentially more interesting than talking anyway um, because for me a lot of this stuff it's actually not about f- the word feminism or the history of feminism or the concept or the theory it's about a feeling it actually is about a way of feeling about the world or experiencing the world and um, uh, responding in some way and so that's why the image interviews came up and then so yeah we just asked artists when we met them to, did you want to do an image interview and then we published them as pdfs that are downloadable mm. um you know kind of open source kind of way on the website and you know i thought they started to become this really interesting kind of picture of um yeah like a feminist feeling mm. yeah they're just really simple questions like you know uh, you know uh, where, where are you now? Um, what, what are you What are you looking at right now? And and what is a feminist feeling and stuff like that? So yeah, they're kind of poetic um, responses. I think it's wonderful. I mean, what we talk a lot about here at Nava is is the power of the visual image or act. And you know, as we as we head towards a federal election here in Australia, uh, we're talking more and more about amplifying, amplifying the voice of the artist through, through the image. Um, so I guess a question to you both out of that is, um, what, what do you think that our politicians in government should be looking at? Uh, what do you think should be on the national agenda? And um, how can we inform Parliament with artists' passions and bold expectations. I feel like the most interesting thing happens away from government and away from policy. And while policy is super important because it is a framework um, to make sure people don't ruin everything, (laughs) um, I think the most interesting stuff always happens on the outskirts or on the edge and not in the centre. So I... I don't see any interest from government um, to to look at artists or art, so it's kind of like why would we bother? Why would we bother trying to get their attention? I mean, we're doing what we do. We will always do what we do. Um, we have always done what we do, and with or without government support. So I think it's great if they come along board and start to recognise the the value that art and artists bring to culture and you know GDP and all that stuff. But uh, it's not really 
I don't feel like it's the artist's job to worry about them. I feel like we just need to keep, um, yeah, just working and doing what we do. I don't know. Who's, who and whose works do you both um, constantly return to as inspiration or as artist peers? I mean, Amy's work inspires me a lot at the moment. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's mainly artists that I'm looking at, like, in a, like, research way. Like, I'm interested in a particular idea, so I'm looking around. So it's not so much, I don't have, like, five key artists that I'm always returning to so much. It's more like I'm really interested in artists that are working now that are interested in the ideas I'm interested in. And then I keep on kind of hunting around. So Amy, I think Amy's an, such an interesting artist um, uh, because she's looking at, you know, feminist line of inquiry and kind of challenging it in a really interesting visual way. Um, I really um, love Angela Goh's work. I totally think that she, the way she uses dance and um, puts it in the visual art context and also is this kind of like challenging... Um, representations of like female bodies or, or femaleness um, through kind of grotesque presentation is amazing. Um, yeah, I'm mainly inspired by Sydney-based, female mainly identified performance artists. <laughs> I've got quite a narrow view. <laughs> I don't think that's narrow. Um, I... I'm in a little bit of a transition, as I was mentioning. Um, so the people, the previous people that I was inspired by are no longer a source of inspiration for me. Uh, I speak really momentarily. I'm just really, I mean, inspired by my mom. I know that sounds really cliche, but um, uh, I guess, yeah, like, so both my parents were um, artists uh, in China in the 80s and 90s. And they immigrated here to um, Sydney. Uh, I think my dad before the Tiananmen Square massacre, and my mum after. And they set up um, a business here in in Australia. And um, they had to stop practicing their art because you know it, they had bigger fish to fry, essentially. Mm. <laughs> um, but so in these 30, 40 odd years they've been here, they 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 have still been, I guess, creative in smaller, more humble, less um, uh, loud ways. And my mum, she she divorced at 40 and um, studied fashion and um, basically just her journey and her, you know, creative um, adventure journey, whatever, has just been an inspiration. And even still, after all these years, she's still powering on and I'm just finding, like, lots of inspiration from her. I guess one last thing, you've got so many great um, things on your little catalogue downstairs. Uh, is there any way that people can access that who aren't in Sydney? Who might be listening across the, ca- the country? To sell the patches? Yeah. Oh. Ah, yeah. Uh, e- e- you can email me or you can email uh, Kelly or you can email iProjectSpace. Um, yeah, just great. contact me. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for doing this today. It was really, really great. Thanks Thanks for having us. (laughs) Head to our website, visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.